So we are continuing the series we started last week called The Kingdom of Heaven, and we're looking at these different parables in the Gospel of Matthew that describe the Kingdom of Heaven and, and just better ways to understand that. And, and again, we spent the whole summer here in the Gospel of Matthew. We, we studied the Sermon on the Mount. Now we're in these, these parables for a few more weeks uh, through Labor Day weekend. And then uh, after that, we'll be moving, moving on to a new series. And on that, we'll be starting a new series titled When Jesus Went to Church. Uh, and we're going to be studying the seven churches in Revelation and when what Jesus said was good about them, what was bad about them, and what we can learn. So, so it, that'll be a fun series looking forward to that we'll be kicking off here in September. So today, though, we uh, are, are in the Gospel of Matthew and looking at these parables. Uh, what can we learn about the kingdom of heaven? And, you know, as we saw last week in Matthew 13, Jesus kind of introduces parables to the disciples. And, and as he was teaching that way and answered some, some questions on what are parables and, and why do you use them? And, and again, Jesus taught them and us, right, about how valuable they can be. And, and we know, again, a parable is a story Right, that has a deeper meaning, and that the, the characters and the different things within the story represent something bigger, a, a, a deeper spiritual concept that we need to learn. And again, Jesus in, in Matthew used a lot of parables to teach us things about the kingdom of heaven. And, and so I, as we see that, we're going to look at, at another one of those this morning. Uh, but we saw last week in Matthew 13, where Jesus, in, in his explanation of why he uses parables, um, he, he, he told the disciples right, that, that you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. And so again, it's, we have the, the privilege of not just following Jesus, but of, of learning about the kingdom of heaven in the way that, that, God's, that God does things. Right? And, and yet things that we can learn about what it really means to be a follower of Jesus and, and a servant of God and, and to be fully surrendered to him as a believer. Right? And, and not just to get our salvation, but to truly usher in the kingdom. Right? And that's one of the things that we need to kind of ask ourselves as we look at all these parables, because some of the parables are, have a salvation message in them. And in fact, when we saw last week as we looked at the, the parable of the farmer scattering seed, that there was definitely a salvation aspect to the four soils we looked at, but, but there's also a, a deep discipleship aspect, right, of, of how do we grow in our faith from that. And as we look at all of these parables, we have to, that's kind of the first question, is, is, is this concept that Jesus is teaching us, is it about salvation or is it about my ongoing relationship with God, my growth of my faith after I am saved? And, and we look at our vision of joining the journey, that's how you join the journey of faith, is by accepting Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Right? And Scripture tells us that if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth, that you will be saved. Yeah, and again, Jesus accepts us exactly the way we are. We don't have to change to, to be saved. In fact, that is just the gospel of grace, right? That we get what we don't deserve in our salvation. But once we join the journey of faith and, and accept Jesus as our Savior, that starts this new journey. Right, this journey of becoming more like him, and that's where we get transformed and, and move forward in our faith. And, and, and as, as we, we know, our core value number one is that Jesus Christ is our destination of our journey. Right, that our goal as followers of Jesus, as believers, as Christians, is to be more like Christ tomorrow than we are today. That I'm going to take a step forward every day in my faith. And as, as we 
look at these parables, as we look at the, this parable today, this, the parable that is found in Matthew chapter 25, the parable of the three servants, as we look at this parable today, I will say that this parable is not about the gospel message. Okay, this parable is very specifically towards those that are believers, that are walking with God. And so, so um, as we look at this one, know that, again, this parable does not teach us the way of salvation or the gospel message. As you saw last week, that one kind of had both of it in, in, involved in it. This one uh, is very specifically to those that are already followers of Jesus. And so if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to open with me to Matthew chapter 25. If you're here with us in person and don't have your own Bible, there are Bibles in the seats in front of you that you're welcome to use. And you'll notice the page numbers are included of where you can find, find this passage in those Bibles. If you're with us online, I hope that you have your Bible close to you and you can open up with us. If you don't, that's fine. Um, you can just follow along as I read it. But we're going to read this parable in Matthew chapter 25, and we're going to start at verse 14, where it says, Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. And then he left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have seen, you have been faithful in handling this small amount, so I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. And the master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. And then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant, if you knew I harvested crops and didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. And then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an, in abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So as we read this, this parable, this is a pretty familiar story. Um, and, and yet as we read it, there are some very deep spiritual truths that, that Jesus is teaching. First off, as we look at this parable, we need to, again, as always, step back a little bit from, from the, the passage at, at what's, what's the bigger context of, of, this, of the scripture, right? And because oftentimes we can zoom in so close that we, we miss some, some things if we look at the bigger picture of where it's at and, and, and what's happening around this parable. If we look at the, at the, the gospel of Matthew, we see that, 
that chapter 24 of Matthew is a very important chapter. Matthew 24 is the, where Jesus talks about the end times. And, and in fact, this is for probably pretty obvious reasons, a pretty popular, popular topic lately, right, in our culture. And yet, no matter what you believe about the end times, and there's, there's beliefs all over, right? I mean, there's a wide spectrum of ideas and, and theories on how the world's going to end. But, but no matter what that is, is, no matter where you land in that opinion, is it must agree with the words of Jesus in Matthew 24. And, and, and as you compare it in 24, then Jesus kind of says, reveals some different things that he knows about the end times in Matthew 24, and then we move into 25, which is actually in the same section as chapter 24. In fact, chapters 24 and 25 is one complete section that focuses on the bigger picture of the end times. It answers the question of what we should do with our time on earth as servants of God until we arrive at that final judgment. And so when we read this parable, as we have just read it, we must First, look at it in this bigger context, right? That, that Jesus is saying, this is what you're supposed to do with your time on earth. Right? Because we know that Jesus is coming back again, right? And we know that God wins. Everything outside of those two facts really are open to interpretation. Right? And yet, we also know that from the time we receive Jesus as our Savior, and we start, you know, and we turn our backs from from our journey with the world, right? We turn our back on the world and we start journeying towards the cross. From that time, we have time on earth as believers. And what are we supposed to do with that time? And Jesus answers that question in not just this parable, but, but in the other stories and parables in these two chapters. And so as we look at that, we realize, again, the context of this parable is he is talking to those that have already received Christ as their Savior. Right? And then verses 14 and 15, he sets the story. Right? And he shows, again, that there's this master, right? And he has these servants. That these, again, these people are servants of God. They are ones that are already believers and followers of Jesus. And then he, he, we, see, we read the story, right? He, he hands out, literally hands out money to these servants of his. Right? As he leaves on this trip and he's saying, but I will return. And, you know, when, again, we look at the bigger context of this is notice the, the, the master never tells the servants when he's coming back. Which, again, is one of the, the top points that Jesus makes about the second coming, right? Is that we don't know when it's going to happen. Right? These servants didn't know when the, he was coming back. But he says, but I am entrusting you this money. Right? And notice whose money it was. It was the master's money. It was very clear. Even the servants understood that. In fact, they all said that right when he shows up and it's time for them to get the account. It's like, here is your money. This is what I did with your money. Hey, this, again, is a very important point. Now, as we look at this parable, in fact, uh, we see that, again, this, depending on your Bible, what translation you have, like the, the title, the, the heading in my Bible says the parable of the three servants. In fact, the, some older translations, right, call it the parable of the talents. Again, the NLT version that, that I read from literally says he gave them money, right? There's uh, older translations do translate it as he gave them talents. Now, talents, again, it, it was a, a unit of, of money, right? It, it was equal to 15 years of a day laborer's wage, right, was a talent. So this was a lot of money. 
that even the one that only got one talent still got a lot of money of the master's. And so now I will say, again, this has kind of been a debate, depending on reading who you listen to and different biblical scholars. And again, it's perhaps you've heard sermons on this parable before, right? And, and, and I've heard preachers say that this parable is not about money, it's about talents. And that's why I use that one. And, and I, I don't agree with that. I, I think this, even if you say it now, I agree that it is about talents. It's about everything that the master entrusts to you, right? Which includes your money. Because everything that we have is God's, right? And that's the reality. And so, because God owns a cattle on a thousand hills, right? And, and God also um, owns, I mean, he's, the, he's, he's God, he's the master over everything, right? And so, so he also has given us not just our money and the resources in our lives, but he's also given us our personalities, he's given us our interests, he's given us our, our talents and our abilities and the things that you're good at. God gave you that, right? God also gives you your spiritual gifts. Right? And, and, and again, I believe that this parable is speaking to all of it. Right? And so to say it's just about your talent, I think, is too narrow-minded. And I think even to say that it, if it's not about money, and, and I think it is about money, I think it's about all of it. And in fact, when we, we look at Scripture and how much it talks about money and the way we manage money, right, this is another place that it talks about it. And that these concepts that Jesus teaches through this parable absolutely applies to your finances as much as it applies to your talents and your abilities and your interests and your spiritual gifts and everything that God gives you, which is everything, by the way. Right? The only thing you deserve from God, right? the only thing we've earned from God is judgment and death. And everything I receive from God other than that is by grace and Right, and so as we look at this, again, this is about money, right? And it is about the way you handle your money, but it's also about the way you handle everything in your life. As we look at that, um, this concept that Jesus teaches us will apply literally to every area of your life. And guess what? That's exactly what your faith is supposed to affect. Every area of your life. That's what... God wants, right? That's what true transformation is. Is everything in your life given to you by God and is entrusted to you from God for you to use? So as we look at this parable, again, what can we learn? What do we see as we kind of set the foundation for these concepts that Jesus teaches? We see, first off, the obvious point, right, that the servants are given different amounts of money. Right? Now, the interesting thing is I wanna, why I want to point this out is notice that they are given different amounts in proportion to their abilities. And, and so that's in quotations or outline because that's literally what the text says. Right? They are given different amounts. Now, the interesting thing to me is that the servants don't really seem to ever call this out. Right? They, they know that they all got different amounts, right? and yet it doesn't seem to bother any of them. Right? Which is really interesting to me because if you're a parent, you know right, that you always notice what your siblings get compared to what you get. Right? Or you always notice what your coworkers get compared to what, what you do. 
Right? And yet, this is, Jesus never talks about this. I mean, the fact that they, but they were given different amounts in proportion to their abilities. And the other interesting thing is that there, is, there are no specific instructions given to these servants as to what is expected to be done with this money. It just says that he, the master entrusts it to them and says, here, you know, do something with it while I'm gone. Right? There's no specific instructions given other than you need to do something. It was completely up to them what they did with it. This kind of references our free will, doesn't it? Right? You have what God has entrusted to you, and, and it's 100% up to you what you do with it. Right now, God gives us certain guidelines, right, and, and certain expectations that, that come with following him, but, but yet we get to choose what we do with what God entrusts us with. And then we see in verses 16 through 18, it, it, Jesus goes through in the parable about what the servants do while the master is away. And then we see in verses 19 through 30 that there is a time of judgment that comes. And just as we said, we don't know when that time is. These servants didn't know when that time was. But the servant or the master is coming back again. We do know that for sure. All right now, as we see this, we, then, then they, they go through the time of judgment. They present what they had done, right? And then we also notice that the three different servants got a very different response from the master. Right? They get very different responses. Now, now really, though, they're not, uh, the first two, though, actually got exactly the same response from the master. In fact, you compare the verses, they're literally exactly the same. Right, the one who got five doubled it to ten, and he was told, right, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling small amounts, so now we'll give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Now, these are words, again, I think that every Christian longs to hear, isn't it? Well done, my good and faithful servant. And I don't know about you, but I'll just speak for myself. I long to hear those words. And, and as we see that, again, this is the same response that the first two servants get. Right? One is just, well done. Right? It is, well done, my good and faithful servant. I mean, just that phrase in itself is just very powerful. Right? And then we see, though, there's a couple, there's two other things that, that the master points out. One, right, he's saying that because you've been faithful, you will be given more. And then he also points out that it's, they need to celebrate. And I think both of those points are very important as well. But we're, we'll, we'll talk about that a little later. The interesting thing, though, is the other response, the different reply that this ser- third servant gets from the master. And this, we see this in verses 26 and 27. It says, but the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Now, this is interesting on many levels, right? But, but one is we see this, right, that the biggest thing that we see okay, is that um, the, the master is very disappointed. Right? This servant um, was called wicked and lazy, not good and faithful. Right? And again, just the, the whole idea of, of the servant's perspective is, is that the they, the master is powerful, right? Big and powerful and has a lot of authority. 
again, you know, he, he harvests where he doesn't plant, all these, right? And, and this brought out a fear in this third servant, right? And, and as we see that, though, the, 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 the first question I want to ask is, is, what was the difference between the first two and the third one? I mean, obviously, the master kind of calls out some differences, right? But, but, but the, the biggest difference I want to present that dictated their results was the servant's perspective. Okay, the servant's perspective dictated their results. Is what was going to happen when the, when the master returned. And, and again, their perspective of the master right, was very different. I mean, these, these first two right, were, were honored right, by the, the trust of the master. They, they took what the master had given them and all of the, the money, their abilities, their talents, their interests, all of those kinds of things, and, and they were motivated by the fact that the master's presence in their life. Right? And then, though, we have this third servant, and, and notice what he says in, in leading up to this, his excuse right, for not doing anything, okay? because this shows us his bigger picture perspective of the master. Right, in verses 24 and 25, he says, Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant, and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money. And so I hid it in the earth. And here is your money back. Now, notice his excuse or his reasoning for why he did what he did. Again, he, he didn't come to the master and be like, well, I, you gave them more money than me, and so I, I, was, I was jealous, and I was insulted, and, and like, you're a, you're a bad master, and, and all that, right? I mean, you can imagine, right? The, I mean, you, you could hear, right? I mean, just go on social media, you could hear that what he could have said. I mean, that's not what he said, is it? Again, no mention of comparing to what the other servants got, right? What, what was said here, was that his view of the master. He tells us his view of the master. I, I encourage you to underline the phrase in this verse, I knew you were a harsh man. Hey, underline or circle that phrase. Hey, because, and next to that, write his view of the master. Hey, that's the way he viewed the master, right? Is that he, he knew he was a harsh man. And then I also encourage you to underline or circle the phrase, I was afraid I would lose your money. Okay, and next to that, right, his view of himself. And when you look at that again, his perspective is what dictated his results. And so his view of God was very different than the other two servants, as well as his view of himself was very different than the other two servants. Okay, and that ultimately was the problem for this servant, was the way he viewed God and the way he viewed himself. Right, these first two servants viewed God, right, as being gracious, right, and, and saying, you, you've entrusted me with your stuff, right, that, that, and they were motivated by the master's power and prestige, right, and wealth and love and trust and all these things, right? This servant was paralyzed by it. The same master, 
Same power, same resources, same, all of that, right? And again, this, we, this is you know, the different sides of views of God, right? That God is loving and gracious, but he's also just and holy and powerful. But yet he's also powerful in the good stuff, right? He's powerful, he can do miracles, but he's also powerful in that he has a, he's sovereign, right? And can judge. And we see these different sides of God. And these servants, again, saw the different sides of the master, but not only how they saw God, but also how they saw themselves. Right? These first two servants were, were confident in themselves, and, and they say, I will rise to the challenge. Great, bring it on, right? Like, like give me this. I, I will do the best I can. Right? And remember, they were given the amount based on their own abilities, right? Based on, on the way that God had made them and wired them and their context and all those kinds of things. And, and so again, they, they rose to, to the challenge. And notice the results for the two servants were exactly the same. They both doubled what they were given. And yet this third servant's view of himself, right, was I, I was afraid I would lose your money. He had no confidence in himself. Right, and so he just hit it. And then we see in verses 28 through 30, we see the conclusion then, right, of, of what happens Right, and, and, and where we see, again, the, um, the first two servants, right, they are rewarded, they are they're, uh, told to celebrate, right, they are given more from God, and, and so because they've been found faithful. And we see this, right, that, and then we also see, though, the conclusion to the other servant that, that he was, what he had was taken away from him, right, was given to the one that already had 10, so now he has 11, talents, right? And, and he says, and then he was pushed out of God's presence. Now, this is exactly the same concept that we see presented, okay, in Matthew 13, 12. But now is one, right, where we start kind of the premise of the series, right? And Matthew 13, 12 says, to those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given, and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. This is exactly the same concept that happens here to this, these servants. Right? The ones who step up and, and are faithful with what God gives and, and lives into that and journeys forward in their faith, right? more is given to them. And you see here, right, as we connect those, is why you see this applies to not just money. It does apply to money, but not just money. Not just your talents, but, but also even your knowledge of who God is. Right, if you're given that knowledge and you live into that, you will be given more. Right, and, and this literally is supposed to apply to every area of our lives. And then we see in verse 30 this, this harsh reality that the relationship is completely severed between the master and the servant. And as we go back to, to look at this, even in the Sermon on the Mount, in the, our last study, and where we saw even in that where Jesus talks about that a tree will be judged by its fruit. A good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. Now again, we can go into this, and there's all kinds of theological and denominational lines that can be drawn here up to whether, again, does he lose his salvation or does he not, or does all that, you know, and again, that's for a different sermon. Hey, but as we look at this, though, as we look at this idea of and these, these deep spiritual truths that Jesus is teaching us, we have to answer the question, what do we learn? 
All right, what's the lessons from this parable? The first big lesson I think that we need to understand from this parable is that fear causes us to do unwise things. Fear causes us to do unwise things. Again, the, we look back to the, the perspective of the different servants and, and their motivations. And again, we saw, right, that, that the third servant was full of fear. Fear of, of the master as well as fear of himself and, and, and not, you know, of, of what might happen, you know, because of his inabilities or, or whatever, right? That lack of self-confidence. This, this servant was paralyzed by fear. And, and the unwise thing, obviously, the master did not think it was very wise for him to bury the silver, right? The money. No, at least the, the, like, even just minimal wise thing would have been to at least deposit it in the bank, right? But you didn't even do that, right? Burying it in the ground was very unwise. Again, but if we look back at verses 24 and 25, we see, right, that the core issue for that servant was fear. And it was paralyzing. Again, I, I think probably, I, I, and, and this is my opinion, that, that, that this servant was not lazy and evil. I, I don't think it was an identity issue for that servant but I think it was, that servant was full of fear and that fear was paralyzing. And because of that, the, the natural conclusion of their actions was that they were lazy and wicked. And now as we look at this and we understand this, this idea in our own hearts and our own lives, right, is that the reality is that fear is just as paralyzing for us as it was for that servant, isn't it? And it causes us to do all kinds of unwise things. Right? And, and when you think about our, our culture and our world, and even if you look at the, you know, the, the rising level of anxiety and stress and fear that, that's happening in our, in our world today, and, and how paralyzing it is, this is incredibly relevant. Right? And fear causes us to do unwise things. Again, there's you know, this old, again, old wives' tale, right, about how elephants are scared of mice. Hey, but, and again, you look at this, though, but like, how illogical is this? I mean, this, this huge animal is scared of this little tiny mouse. Literally, all it has to do to neutralize this fear is step. Right? And that mouse is gone. Right? That mouse is zero match for that elephant. And yet the fear of it, right, is, is illogical but it's also paralyzing. Uh, yeah, we, we know this to be true. This is a concept we know, right? I mean, we can all, most of us, I assume, can ride a bike. Right, we can, we can I don't know, maybe you've been mountain biking, right? Like going, it's fun. Right? Everybody can ride a bike, right? Until you introduce fear into the equation. Right, and then suddenly riding your bike becomes a whole lot different, doesn't it? Right? And, and again, and now, again, you can do all kinds of unwise things. Now, you might look at this picture and think the only unwise thing in this picture is going on that trail. Right? Now, and I think I, I might agree with you on that, right? But, but we think about, right, is that fear, though, causes us to do unwise things. 
right? Because anybody can ride a bike could go down that trail perfectly safe. It's the, when you introduce the fear, right, of, of the margin of error is when we get paralyzed and freak out. And when we think about that and, and even think about how much fear holds us back, right? Again, how do we get through our fears? How do we move forward it? Because the, 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 we think about fear, you think about what's the opposite of fear, right? And we think, again, we think courage, we think strength, right? We think all of this thing. That is not the opposite of fear. Because the, the reality is we step back and look at this and even look at the concept that Jesus teaches us in the Bible and we realize that fear is a liar. And if fear is a liar, right? And again, that's exactly what fear is. It's, it's, it's this, this worry of things that might happen. Right? Fear is not based in facts at all. It's not based in truth, right? It's, it, it's based in what might happen happen and and then we go down that road and and but the reality is that fear lies to us all the time right? and so the the opposite of fear is is not courage but the opposite of fear is truth and love ultimately because remember the source of the servant's fear was his view of god and his view of himself and so the fear, the, the remedy to fear is not courage or confidence. It is love because the more that we are loved by God, the more the truth comes out about who we are and about who he is. And the more that we learn the truth about who God is and who I am and how he made me, the more motivating it becomes in my life. Right, to where my view of God and the view of myself actually propels me forward. Right? And that's what will dispel the fear in my life. In fact, that's exactly what Scripture tells us. 1 John 4, 18. It says, such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. Underline that phrase. Perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. Love. And again, the only way, the only source of perfect love is God. Which again goes back to our view of God, which leads into our view of ourselves. Right? And as we look at this, the, the remedy to fear is love. And the reality is that God's love will change you, it'll change you from the inside out. Right? It starts in your, at your core identity of who you are. And so the more, again, the more you experience God's love, the more it changes what you believe about yourself. Right? And we, we see that, right? That, that first off, this first big picture lesson is that fear causes us to do unwise things. Right? The next thing that we need to learn from this parable is that God expects a return on the investment he has made in us. Okay, God expects a return on the investment he has made in us. As we see again, this master, right, made a big investment into all three of these servants. As I stated before, even the one that got one talent, right, got a lot of money. And God expects a return on that. 
And as we go back, and as I've already said, this, this parable is not about salvation, but it starts with our salvation because the reality is that God has invested a lot into your salvation. Now, it's not a price that you have to pay, right? That's, that's why it's by grace. God already paid the price, right? But your salvation is free to you, but it was not cheap. Your salvation is free to you, but it was not cheap. Right? The cost of your salvation was Jesus' life. The fact that he lived on this earth, died on that cross, and conquered death through Christ is what purchases your salvation. And so that's what makes it free to you is because God already paid the price through the cross. They say, your salvation is free, but it wasn't cheap. God has invested a lot in you, and that is literally just in your salvation. Think about everything else that God invests in you. Right? Is, he has invested a lot in you. Because he invests even more in you even after you become a believer. Right? When you join the journey of faith and receive Christ as your Savior, then you start this new journey, and then you start to see everything that God has actually invested in you. And it's a lot. I invite you to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, okay, verses 7 through 11, okay, where it says, it says, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith. And to another and to someone else, the one Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles and the other ability to prophecy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. And still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes these, and he alone decides which gift each person should have. Again, this concept, right, of spiritual gifts, of, of we don't all get the same one, right, that they're all going to be different, but, but yet it's the master that distributes them. This sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it? All the servants got different amounts. They got different abilities. They get different stuff, right? But yet God expects a return on every single one of them. Whether it's your spiritual gifts, whether it's the relationships in your life, your personality and interests, whether it's the money he gave you, whatever it is, right? God expects a return on that. He expects you to do something with it, with your time on earth. And then we, we, the next thing we learn is that lasting abundance is a reward from God. Lasting abundance is a reward from God. And again, to say this, even, like I said, this includes money. And I think when you look about money is that there is no shame in being wealthy as a Christian. In fact, you look throughout Scripture. In fact, wealth and money is given all throughout Scripture as a reward for faithfulness. Now, there's a lot of warnings about wealth, right, in Scripture, right? And about not, again, that you keep God first and you understand that it's all of your money is God's and kind of all those things, right? But yet we look at the, all of these concepts that we're learning here absolutely apply to your finances. Right? And there's no shame in being wealthy. Right? That, that, again, it can be a reward from God. As, but it is, there is a danger right, in wealth. Right? Because with all the temptations that come with it. But we see this, again, this concept, this reward concept in verse 29 of the parable. It says, 
To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. Okay, but from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Again, this concept that we see, that is introduced here in this parable, that we see all throughout Scripture, is absolutely one of the core teachings of finances in the Bible. Right? Is that if, you, if you're faithful with God's money, right, and, and the, the, the core right, um, thing we're told to do with money is to tithe it, if you give 10% of God's money back, you get to keep 90% of God's money. Right? If you do that, you will be given more. And I can tell you, right, just from my own personal experience, is that that is absolutely true. Okay, is that our 90% goes way farther than our 100 ever could. Okay, and in fact, the wealthiest people I know are people that, that give way more than 10% back to God. Okay, this is a concept that is absolutely true in finances. It is also true in every other area of your life. Think about your talents and your abilities that you have. Right, if God gives you an ability, right, then it, it needs to be used in order to be, to be perfected and, and to get better and better and better. Right? Because the reality is that raw talent still has to be developed and practiced. And if you don't do it, you will lose it. Right? Think about whether it's a sport or whether it's you know, uh, playing an instrument, right? whatever it is. If you don't do it, you lose it. Right? But the more that you invest in it, the better you get. Right? The, the last thing I want to point out that we need to learn this bigger picture from this parable is to, we need to understand that celebration is important. That celebration is important. Notice he says, I'll give you more, and then this, the master also says, and now we celebrate. Right? God loves to throw a good party. Okay, and as we see that, right, celebration is important. When we acknowledge God's provision, it needs to be celebrated. Again, going back to finances, right? Like writing that tithe check every month can be a celebration of what God's provided in your life, right? And writing that, that, writing that tithe check should be an act of worship, right? And part of that worship is like, God, you gave me that much money. I get to give this much back, right? 10%, I can't believe that that's 10%, right? That's a celebration, right? When we think about, uh, you know, again, celebrating everything that we do, right? Again, if God heals you, then celebrate it and tell people about it, right? Because God heals people, Right? When God shows up and walks you through a tough situation, talk about it and celebrate it right? and give God the glory of that miracle. Right? We need to celebrate it. And again, I think within the church, we do not do a good job of celebrating everything that God does. And we need to do better. Again, you think about this, this, again, this provision that God gives and this celebration, and, and this feels like it's kind of out of left field, but, but this passage that's on your outline is, is describing the triumphal entry. And again, that God's provision, I mean, this is the bigger picture of God's provision of a Messiah, right? And as Jesus entered the city, right, in this, this prophesied event within the triumphal entry in Matthew 21, verses 9 and 10, it says that Jesus was at the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, praise God, for the son of David, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest heaven. And the entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. The triumphal entry right, was a huge celebration and party of God's provision of a Savior. Right? And, and we need to throw those parties. right? We need to celebrate in that way. Right? One of the ways that we can celebrate successes is through journey stories. Right, anytime that God moves into, I encourage you to make a journey story, right? Make a journey video. 
Okay, now, we mostly have done it when people get baptized. In fact, next week we have a baptism. You're going to see her journey story, right? But that's not the only time we should celebrate what God's doing, right? If God has done something big in your life, make a journey video, right? And we'll show it and we'll celebrate together as a church. But as we think about even this celebration, right, as at the core earlier in the triumphal entry in Matthew 21, we see like kind of the linchpin to even this whole celebration of the triumphal entry okay, in, in Matthew 21, verse 6. And it says that the two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They were told to go find the donkey, to kind of get these things ready, right? And they did it. And that's, again, as we look at this bigger picture of this parable, is that we need to do what Jesus tells us to do. We need to follow through and actually do it. This isn't about saying the right things, right? This is about living your faith every day. This is about moving forward, right? Are you going to do as Jesus commands you to do? Are you going to bring back to the master and say, here's what I've done? Right? And, my, and again, our view of God and our view of ourselves is going to dictate those results. And, and as, we, as we think about that, and, and again, the goal of every believer in Christ right, is to hear that phrase, well done, my good and faithful servant. Now, I just want to say before we get to our final thought this morning is that, again, this parable is not about salvation, but if you are here today and you have not received Christ as your Savior, then that's where you start. And then once you join the journey of faith and receive Christ as your Savior, if you haven't done that, I hope you'll do that today. But once you do that, then you start on this new journey of faith where you take everything that God gives you and you start to transform your view of God and view of yourself, right? And you get a return on God's investment as you work for him for every day that he gives you on this earth, until you die or he comes back again, right, we are moving forward in our journey. Which brings me to my final thought today, and that is this. Well done, my good and faithful servant, are words we long to hear from God. With a proper perspective and faithfulness will lead us to the celebration in heaven. Again, I don't know what your journey looks like today. Your journey is different than mine. Okay, but... Will you take the next step in your journey? Whether that's accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior for the first time, or maybe that's just being more faithful in something, whatever it is, right? Is take what God's given you and be faithful with it. And and again, I I don't know what that looks like for you, but whatever it is, I encourage you to make the commitment today that you're going to do it and you're going to follow through. Lord God, we thank you for your goodness. God, we thank you that you have entrusted us with so much in our lives. And God, I pray that as we go this week, Lord, we will be faithful. God, we will follow through. We will invest, Lord, the things that you've invested in us, God, into serving you and loving you with everything we have. And Lord, that starts with living out our faith every day. And Lord, through us living our faith, God, we show this world who you really are. And God, I pray that you would guide us and lead us this week as we go, as we live our faith every day. Lord, we thank you for being with us no matter what we face. God, for investing so much in us. And God, we long to be your good and faithful servant. God, guide our steps this week as we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.